We're beginning a new sermon series called Falling Apart. And before we dive in, let's uh, go to the Lord for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We are so thankful for your spirit that moves in this place. And Lord, we know that there are three purposes for the spirit every time we come together. Lord, first of all, the spirit is here to convict us. So Lord, if there are those this morning that your word just needs to convict, Lord, I pray that it will do that. Lord, we know that it's also your spirit is designed to challenge us. So Lord, if we just need to be challenged to take that next step of faith, I pray, Lord, that we'll move. And Lord, for some here this morning, your spirit just needs to comfort them for the difficulties that they're going through. So Lord, I pray that your spirit moves in a powerful way. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, it's hard to believe in 80 days, we will be heading into 2015. Can you believe that? The year is flying by. So to get us ready to go into the new year, I love the, the countdown, okay? So we're going to go through this countdown together so you'll be ready for New Year's Eve. Is everybody ready for that? You got to do better than first service. I'm telling you, it was, was not good. So anyway, let's try it. Guys, hit it. Ready? Here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Woo! All right. Well, we're never going to do that again. So anyway, that was good. You guys, good, good American try there. Now, here's what happens every new year. You go into the new year, and there is this renewed vision and hope that it's going to be better. We set goals. We have initiatives. And invariably, somebody, somebody will utter these words, we just pray for world peace. And we know that we live in a fallen and broken world. And then I want you to think back to last year. Matter of fact, I don't know if it's your bucket list, but it used to be on my bucket list to actually be in Times Square during that New Year's celebration. And then I read an article about the folks that are there. I don't know if you've read what they go through. Like, the adults are wearing Depends because there's no bathrooms. It's not on my bucket list anymore. So anyway, I don't know if it's on yours. But if you remember going into that new year, 2014, think as the calendar pages began to turn what's already happened this year. Remember the Winter Olympics in Russia and just all the hope going into that? But eventually that ended up being a war zone. And there was more security at this year's Olympics than ever before. And then there's the ISIS attack that takes uh, the global front and it makes it a highlight for evil, Ebola epidemic. There is fear and death that is gripping the world as countless folks are going to die from Ebola. And then racial tension. Uh, Roger and Tom and I went to St. Louis Christian College, John Muffler, and just 10 minutes from where we went to school uh, is where the outcry went out from Ferguson and the racial tension from that area. And then there's the heartbreaking news that we heard as the Academy Award actors, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Robin Williams committed suicide. And then the ongoing news of persecution of Christians all over the world. We live in a broken, fallen world. But if you just look back a little bit in American history, we know that that story hasn't changed much. I want you to think what it would have been like a few years ago, New Year's Eve, 1941, going into 1942. Can you imagine what that was like as we were on the threshold of a second world war? 
Or can you imagine New Year's Eve going into the next year, 1963-1964? Can you imagine a country looking back and seeing the President of the United States assassinated? Or many of you remember what it was like New Year's Eve 2001 going into 2002. As we saw what happened on 9-11 and people began to utter those words, is the world ever going to be the same? We know what it's like to live in a fallen world. I love what Vance Haven says. Satan may light the furnace, but God keeps his hand on the thermostat. I want you to take your scriptures and turn with me to Psalms chapter 73. And to give you just a little background of what's going on, uh, Psalms, this particular psalm is written by Asaph. Now, he would be Israel's version of Tim Thompson. So this is the choir director looking at the world's... Now, I could have gone a lot of directions there, but I kept it right there. But this is the choir director of Israel actually writing from his perspective about a world that is broken and a world that has fallen. Now, here's what's interesting. He goes through a checklist that are really the same questions that we ask. Matter of fact, in verses 1 and 2, he simply says, I nearly lost my foothold. In other words, I nearly lost my faith because the world is so evil. And then he gives examples. Look at verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here's the way that I look at it. There are folks out there that are financially secure, and they're evil, and they never look at the price tags. Can you imagine never looking at price tags? I grew up with a mother who grew up in the Depression. I look at price tags when I go to yard sales. So I can't imagine a life where money means absolutely nothing and you can spend whatever you want. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, they have no struggles. Code word for they have no stress. Their bodies are healthy and strong. He said, Lord, it's bad enough that the wicked are financially set, but they have no stress, and they're attractive. Have you ever looked at the folks on the front of the magazines, like in Kroger, and then you go home and you're like, Lord, seriously, what happened? You ever done that? Like, they have a face for magazines, and you may have a face for radio. I mean, that's what happens to all of us. We go through these seasons, and he's saying, I don't understand how they could live a life with all this money and no stress, and they're attractive. And then he goes on in verse 5, and he says they are free from what? Burdens common to man. They're not even plagued by human ills. Well, it's interesting. Do you know what causes 77% of the illness in our lives? Guess. Stress. It's a vicious cycle. He said, look, here we go again. Lord, they're attractive. They're wealthy. They have no stress. And it... It makes no sense. Now, at this point, when he looks at the world, you're thinking, well, some of this seems a little petty. But then look at verses 6 through 8. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. They are calloused hearts. They come with iniquity. The evil conceits their minds. They know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In the arrogance, they threaten oppression. Now, this is getting heavy. He said, Lord, I'm not even talking about the money anymore. I'm not even talking about their physical appearance or the fact that they seem to live a life that's carefree. Lord, evil is oppressing the lonely and the hurting and the broken. Lord, this world isn't making a lot of sense. 
some of the statistics now that are so disturbing is what's going on globally with sex slavery. The FBI released this figure that there are 293,000 young people at risk in sex trafficking in the United States. This isn't just something where you look on the corner of the world and say, this is a terrible thing. It's happening in our backyard. We're seeing children abused. We're seeing so many examples of where evil is flourishing against the weak and the helpless and the fatherless. And if we're honest, we have many of the same questions that Asaph had. Lord, we live in a fallen world. Matter of fact, Asaph is dealing with the two primary questions that everybody wrestles with. And I guarantee you can finish this sentence. Lord, why do bad things happen to, and Lord, why do good things happen to, we all know that. So as I read and prayed through Psalm 73, and I was thinking about what it would be like to talk to Asaph, I would probably simply ask him, really? Really, you're, you're confused that the world is evil and that the world is broken? I had a really moment this summer. My daughter, Danielle, my youngest daughter, Danielle, uh, 19, and uh, she was with my wife and I, and we were watching TV, and, and it was terrible because she had the remote. She had taken the remote, okay? And so uh, she said, I'm, I'm going to control what we watch next. And so being a Christian father, I said, yes, that would be fine, honey. So anyway, I thought for sure she was going to land on Lifetime, <coughs> but she didn't, didn't land there. But she said, oh, this is a great movie. But dad, you cannot say anything sarcastic. I said, fine. Twilight, anybody seen that? <laughs> hey, honestly, if you haven't seen it, don't see it, okay? <laughs> so I'm, I'm watching this unfold. And to be honest, within the first 10 minutes, that Edwards kid, he's creepy, okay? I, I get it, he's creepy. And so... I'm watching this, and then Danielle goes, this is the part you have to really intently listen to. She's in this room with the computer. Do you know what scene I'm talking about? She's got all these books on medieval vampires, and all of a sudden she starts piecing it together. He runs faster than any human. He jumps higher than any human. He's cold to the touch. You know, he wants to eat me for lunch. You know, she's, and she goes, something's wrong with this guy. And here's the best scene. The very next day, He's in the parking lot. He's a creepy kid. Anyway, he's in the parking lot, and she goes, we need to talk. So what do they do? They go into the deep, deep part of the woods. He's a vampire. <laughs> really? And so they get out there, and she goes, you're faster than any human. You're cold to the touch. And he goes, say it. She said, you're a vampire. Now, I'm having like a, a moment. And Daniel looks at me, and I'm like, I can't. Seriously, Daniel, really? She didn't get it? The kid's a vampire? I picked that up really. Why doesn't the kid like play football? I mean, do something constructive with your talent. All of us have these moments where we go, really? All of us have those moments. And when you read the Psalms, you have to step back and say, Asaph, seriously, really? You struggle with the fact that the world is broken, that we are a fallen race. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things beyond what? cure beyond cure of course we live in a world that has fallen and that's never going to change every new year when we approach it 
you have hopes and dreams, and that's great. I'm not here to say you shouldn't have that, but you need to know we are never going to be in a world that is not broken because of one thing. What's the word? Sin. Because of sin. Listen to these words of R.C. Sproul. I love this. If each one of us is born without a sinful nature, then how do we account for the universality of sin? If four billion people were born with no inclination to sin, no corruption to that nature, we would reasonably expect that at least some of them would refrain from falling. But everyone does it. Sin. Without exception. Then we wonder why. The Bible's very clear. All have sinned and fallen short. I know what some of you are thinking. Wow, thank you, Debbie Downer. Man, that is so heavy. I get that. I really do. I mean, we have this amazing song with the choir, you know, going to heaven, and then thank you, John, for laying out this depressing text. Well, I have two words for you, and you can write these in your bulletin if you're taking notes. Peace refuge. Would you write those two words and would you say them with me? Peace, refuge. God promises us, first of all, you're going to live in a broken world. Jesus himself said what in Matthew 24, 6? There will were, there were always be what? Wars and rumors of wars. That, that's never going to end. But there is a peace that goes beyond understanding. Philippians 4, 7 is one of my, my foundational verses. Man, I cling to this verse. And I'd like us to read it together as a congregation. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. In the Oxford Dictionary, the word transcends means beyond the range of grasp of human experience, reason, or belief. In other words, God never promises us in life that we're going to go through life without storms or wars or conflict or evil. That will always be with us. Because we need to realize, just like Asaph, when Asaph wrote this, he wrote it from this perspective. Lord, there's a good team, there's a bad team. Good guys, bad guys. And Lord, you know I'm a good guy, so I'm complaining about the bad guys. Here's the problem. And it's, it's a solution. It's all of us in this room, we're bad guys. We're all sinners. And if we're honest, when we are separated from God, we are all capable of doing things that are despicable. That's the truth. So we're not trying to find a perfect solution other than we need Jesus Christ. And in the storms of life, in the tension of life, he provides a peace through those storms. A peace that is what? Beyond understanding. What does God think about peace? Well, I want you to think of the garden in Genesis 1.31 when he created this world and he said it is good. And by the way, before man entered the picture, it was a world of peace. But in Revelation 22.2, at the very end of the scripture, he talks about this tree of life that is a healing to the nations. And he's not talking about this world He's talking about the world to come. Of course, God loves peace. Jesus Christ, we know in John 14, said, Peace I leave to you. In Isaiah 9, 6, when it was prophesied Jesus would come, he was called the prince of what? Peace. So we know what God thinks about peace, and we know what Jesus 
thinks about peace, and we know that peace is undescribable that God provides. When I was in Bible college, and this is before cell phones, um, there was a terrible storm, spring storm that rolled in, and I really didn't think much about it. Uh, we get a lot of storms in the St. Louis area in the spring, and so I went to bed, got up the next morning, was listening to the radio, and it said a tornado had touched down uh, in Granite City, Illinois, which is where my mom and sister were living. And so this is when you know it's before cell phones. I call my mom on a pay phone, and it's a weird thing, and I stuck change in, call my mom. They said, hey, mom, uh, listen to the radio, and they said a tornado touched down in Granite City. My mom said, you know, craziest thing, that tornado touched down about a block away, and I could hear it come over the house, touched down on the other side, destroyed several homes, but nobody was killed. And then she just went on talking about breakfast or something, and I said, well, well back up. <laughs> Did you just say you heard the tornado? She goes, crazy thing, it sounds just like a train. I'm like, what? She said, it does, it sounds like a train. I said, where were you? She said, oh, I was in my bedroom. And I was reading the Bible, and I could hear this tornado, and I just prayed. And I said, well, what did you pray? Mom said, if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. Now you know why I'm the way I am. She is a very strange woman, okay? <laughs> because I thought, now, if it were me, I would be in the bathtub. I probably would have grabbed my sister, put her over me, to, you know, because it's all about me. You know what I'm saying? It's a storm, tornado. But you know, every time I read Philippians 4, 7, I, I just can visualize, seriously, I can see my mom. I can just see her there reading the scripture. And this enormous, amazing peace that transcends understanding. You know what else I know? I know for many of you, you've had men and women in your life that have set an amazing example of peace in your life. Like you saw a situation where they should have just been falling apart but there was this calming presence in your life. Where did that come from? Maybe they were diagnosed with cancer. Maybe they lost somebody dearly that they loved. Maybe they, they lost their dream job. Whatever it is where you think they're going to fall apart and there's this calm that comes over them and you're like, where did that come from? And then you go, oh, that's where it came from. It's not man-made. It's God's spirit. And isn't that awesome that he promises us that peace when our worlds are falling apart? But you know what else he promises us? Refuge. Turn with me back to that same Psalm 73. It gets great. Psalms 73, verse 17. Then I entered the sanctuary of God, and I understood their final destiny. And then drop down to verse 28. But for me it is good to be near God I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. So in other words, Asaph is saying, the world was falling apart, and I went to church. And when I got there, I realized God is God, and I'm not. And what did he find? Refuge. There are going to be Sundays, I guarantee it, when you don't want to be here. And Every minister, if they're honest, will tell you there are Sundays they don't want to be here either. And then on the way home, it hits you why you were here. It had nothing to do with you. Might have been somebody that just needed a hug, a word of encouragement. It was a place of refuge. It was a place when you were wounded, you found comfort. 
That's what the church is. The church truly is a community of refuge. That's why we're here, for one another. It's interesting how important that word is throughout the entire scripture. 98 times we find the word refuge. 43 times in the book of Psalms alone. If you love studying refuge, study Numbers 35. There were actually cities of refuge in the Old Testament. Storms in life will come, but we are called to be a part of communities of refuge. I love in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you'd like to turn over there, Acts 1, 8. And here's why this is so important. You know the story. The disciples had spent two to three years, intense years with Jesus. And they're there during his death, the burial. They're there for his resurrection. And now they're in Jerusalem. And they know that soon Jesus will be leaving them. And they're waiting for the marching orders. And so Jesus shares with them the marching orders. Look at Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit that will come on you. And you will be my witnesses. Now by the way that word witness. If you take that Greek and how they fast forward that. That word witness actually means martyr. So Jesus is saying you're going to die standing up for me. And then he gives the marching orders. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea. Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's as if Jesus is saying, and I love this in a commentary I'm studying, start in Jerusalem, local, go to Judea, regional, go farther to Samaria, national, and then go internationally to the ends of the earth. If there's an open door, you take this message. And what's the message? Develop communities of refuge because we live in a broken world that desperately needs hope and they need community and they need one another and don't you stop unless every door is closed but there will always be open doors always I'll tell you why I love being a part of Sherwood Oaks is the challenges that have come our way and to see how we've responded it wasn't long ago that we were over four million dollars in debt the latest tally is we're under $500,000 of paying off that debt. That's awesome. And to be honest with you, a lot of organizations and churches would celebrate paying off the debt and not have plans moving forward. But that's not true at Oaks. What I love is when you came in here a few weeks ago and you saw Brad with a whole community of folks and they're starting a Saturday night service for Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about that. If you've ever worked at the International Furniture Drive, you know that this is a church that's going to do whatever it can do to reach out to those whose doors are open to develop communities of refuge. I love the fact that a few weeks ago on a Sunday night, I went down for the life groups. It's an honor to be a part of that team. Over 50 communities now are being formed because they're saying, we want to be, we want to be in communities of refuge. And next week, on the, the 19th at 6 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall, we're going to talk about where we're going as far as the West Side gathering. And what are we doing over there? And the answer is we're going to do everything we can to develop another community of refuge. I've seen it with the poorhouse, and I've seen it countless times where we're just going to keep reaching out. Why? Because that's what God's called us to do. The answer is never why. The answer is why not? Because Jesus Christ has given us the marching orders today to do the same thing. 
some of you, I guarantee, came here this morning and you're not overly concerned that the world is out of control. You're concerned because your world is out of control and you need refuge. And that comes in Jesus Christ. I want to close with something that happened um, a few years ago that had an impact on me. Uh, if you remember when Katrina came through the hurricane, we sent three groups to a small African-American church. And when we got down there, this church needed a lot of work done. So we put a brand new roof on the church, on the parsonage, on some of the homes involved. It was just an amazing experience. And we would stay in the church. And so they would prepare these wonderful meals, these Mississippi meals. We're talking Cajun. We're talking fried chicken. It was going to kill you, but what a way to go. You know what I mean? It was great. And so we're sitting there just sharing life. And, and I remember one of their questions was, man, how could you live in Indiana with all that snow? I'm like, snow, hurricane, you know. <laughs> but here was the question. I said, seriously, what is it like? to live through a hurricane. And they kind of laughed and looked at each other and they said, well, you know, this is not our first hurricane. And they said, but we do the same thing for every hurricane. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, we meet at the church and we pray that storm out. And I can't stop thinking about that. That's what the church is. That these storms come rolling in and we are here, right here for one another. And we are going to keep reaching out to people who need refuge through Jesus Christ. I guarantee that some of you this morning, that's what you need. And that's why we have an invitation every Sunday to just say, if you need Jesus Christ, we want to be here for you. Or if you just need us to pray with you, we want to pray with you. Because we serve a king who died for us and who is our refuge.